will fulfill their charge to the glory. We join our voices now with the words that our Savior taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Congregation, you may be seated. Elders and deacons, thank you. Now you may also be seated as well. As the praise team makes their way back forward, we'll move into our next song. Our next song comes from uh, the passage we're actually going to go over today. Uh, it comes from Ruth, uh, ch uh, chapter 1, verse 16, and it says, When Ruth replied, Do not urge me to leave you or turn, to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. So we're going to sing, I will follow you. Um, where you go, I'll go. Stay, I'll stay Where you move, I'll move I will follow
Thank you, TJ and Julie, for leading us in music. As TJ mentioned, the song that we just sang comes from Ruth chapter 1. And so at this time, I invite you to open your Bibles to Ruth chapter 1. Uh, we're going to be picking up at verse 6 and going through the end of the chapter to verse 22. We'll be spending um, the weeks leading up to Lent um, in Ruth chapter 1, and so you might get good and familiar with where this book is at, going through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, and then just this short yet beautiful book of Ruth. Before we come to God's Word together, just to remember where we were from last week, um, I encourage you, if you haven't heard, to listen to Pastor Audrey's sermon in naming these characters and in naming the setting in which this story starts in the time of Judges. And the story begins with a lot of loss, but it ends, in a few weeks, it ends with an ending that goes beyond what could be imagined. And so, we'll pick up today at verse 6. But before we pray together, let's pray for God's blessing upon the Word. God, we come to You today. We come before Your Word as a congregation of different ages, of different times in faith. We come before You with different weeks that we have had, some good, some bad, some stressful, some joyful. Perhaps for many of us, a mix of all of the above. With all the different places that our concerns can be, we ask that in this moment, O Lord, set our hearts upon your word and place your word deeply within our hearts that we may pay attention to the ways in which you are moving, even the ways in which you are moving unspokenly. So God, send your Holy Spirit to make these words alive to us and in us for the glory of Christ in our lives and in the world. Amen. Ruth chapter 1, beginning at verse 6. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the way that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, 
Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they wept aloud and said to her, We will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. And even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband and tonight had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It is more bitter for me than for you, because the Lord's hand has turned against me. At this they wept aloud again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Wherever you die, there I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived at Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them, and the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Have you ever seen a commitment made at the last minute come to fruition in a beautiful and unexpected way? Strangely enough, maybe because it's wintertime, I can think of one such example from my childhood. When I was in middle school, our middle school youth group um, got to go on a, a downhill tubing night in the middle of winter. Um, we live in northwest Indiana, so when I say downhill tubing, we went to the Pines in Valpo. If you've actually gone skiing, it's nothing to be too excited about, but you know, Northwest Indiana, we work with what we've got. And it was going to be a fun night of just tubing. They had the nice little tow rope to bring you up so that you didn't have to walk the whole time every time. But what we remember is that that night there were frostbite warnings and wind chill advisories, and normal people would have said, let's reschedule. But no, 
The American Reformed Church youth group, middle school youth group from DeMott said, nope, this is our night. We've reserved it. And so the really cool thing was, is it was basically just us. So we tubed and we froze. Thankfully, two of our middle school youth group sponsors wanted to make sure that this was a fun and memorable time, and they wanted to create something to take our minds off of how cold we were. And so the two sponsors, one of which was my dad, and the other was a man named Neil Myers, they created a game. Whenever they went down the tubing hill, since it was mostly just us from church anyway, they made a game of trying to ram into us and knock us off course, or even better, bonus points, if they could knock us off of our tubes. My dad is about my height, but has a little bit more mass, if you will. Neil Myers is also no small fellow. And so the two of them would go a lot faster on the tube, for one, but we were quicker. And we ruined their fun because all of us as students realized if we just skitched our foot on the snow, we could turn a little bit and Bill and Neil would go cruising right by. Well, it was almost time to be done. We got our money's worth, our fingers were frozen, and Bill and Neil had very little success together in hitting the middle school students off of their tubes. That could be a good thing depending on your perspective in the story. But I encourage you to take the perspective of my dad and Neil. They made a last-ditch effort to take out as many kids as they possibly could in their last run down the hill. It was announced from the building that everyone could get one last move up the hill, and then it was time to be done. And so we all got to the top of the hill, but then dad and Neil kept going up, like towards where the skiers would start. And we all watched them. We thought, oh, we'll wait for them to go. And then we realized they don't want us to wait. They want us to go first. And so these two giant men linked arms at the wrist and together as one tube with probably a combined 600 pounds of person upon it was like a snowplow shot out of a rifle down the hill. After all of the fleeing middle school students it was as if dad and Neil went to the top of the hill and said, where you go, I will go. Where you slide, I will slide. Your targets will be my targets and your student victories, my student victories. May the Lord deal with us, be it ever so severely, if anything other than reaching the bottom of the hill causes us to let go of each other. And so down we went, pursued by this flying mass of person and tube. It was like getting bulldozed. We, some of us got pushed out of the way. Some of us got pushed off of our tubes. And our friend Matthew O'Brien, who actually didn't go to our youth group, was actually already at the bottom walking across. And they just clipped him off at the feet and he flipped over. In my dad's defense, he thought it was me because we were all wearing the same Carhartt coveralls. Matt wasn't even part of our youth group. I don't know if he came back, but he had a good time. But those last-minute commitments are memorable. The time when you think, everything's kind of over with this. We're, we're not going to make any other successes out of the situation. That last-minute change, the last-minute commitment, when it almost seems pointless, why don't we just give up and go home? We're cold. We're tired. Let's have enough of this. The change in the last minute 
can happen and create the turn of the tide. And the change made in those moments often can have the greater impact and trajectory than anyone could have possibly imagined. Now, for a little bit of levity, you can imagine people tubing down a hill. But consider the change of tone that the book of Ruth takes because Ruth and Orpah are being told to leave. And Ruth's words of commitment matter. The words matter, and they are strong words of dedication. Don't urge me to leave you. Where you go, I go. Where you stay, I stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely. If, two translations, if anything but death, or if even death, Preferably from Hebrew, I'd go with, if anything but death separates you and me. Friends, that last-minute commitment made all of the difference in the world. And we'll see that unfold in future chapters. But knowing that we have the advantage of reading to the end of the story, we know that Ruth's decision to follow Naomi, when following Naomi seemed foolish, Ruth following Naomi would put her in the lineage of King David. We are in the grandparent generation of King David. We are, in fact, then ergo in the lineage of Jesus Christ. And it was the last decision. Also, let's give credit to all three characters in this story. What Orpah did made sense. And she's not wrong for turning away from Naomi. In fact, it's what Naomi asked for and wanted. If you remember, Orpah means the back of the neck. Orpah turned. She kissed her mother-in-law goodbye and she left. And she did so with Naomi's blessing. Because here's where we get the blessing of Naomi and that we cannot miss this detail in her story. Naomi has gone through a lot. She's lost her husbands and her sons. Famine has uprooted her, and now she's going home. And she does not try to bring others down with her. She is right in defining herself as saying, do not call me Naomi, which means pleasant. Call me Mara, which means bitter. Her life has been bitter, but she does not bring others down with her. She blesses. She who has endured much suffering blesses those around her. We can see a glimmer of Christ's character being foreshadowed in even Naomi. What do you do when you have a bad day? Do you go home maybe a little bit on edge? Have you ever taken something from work home with you? and just been a little bit short of patience, a little bit grouchy? Speaking from experience, I would say yes. We're not going to ask for a show of hands, though, or for everybody on Facebook to reply, yep, that's me. But Naomi, amazing Naomi, has suffered much and does not inflict suffering on those around her. She blesses. And her release of Ruth and Orpah 
is an amazing one because she makes clear that there is nothing tying you. There's, there's no little, you know, unwritten rule. There's nothing that I'm going to use to shame you. She blesses them in their going. And she goes into great detail as to why they should leave because Naomi, though she has lost her husband, though she has lost her sons, she wants Orpah and Ruth to find a husband, to be able to have sons. And as Pastor Audrey already taught last week, this matters a lot to these women at this day and age, at this point in time. They have no property, they can receive or pass no inheritance by themselves. Naomi wants what's best for those around her, even though she has suffered. I wonder if we could use a little bit more of Naomi's character in our hearts. We've all faced hardships. We've all had some sufferings. We've all been inconvenienced or frustrated. And the way that can make us treat those around us can be distinctly unblessed or unchristian. Naomi takes her suffering and blesses others in it. She doesn't want to bring anyone down with her. And following Naomi would be a dead end. And she knows that full well, and she doesn't want anyone else to follow her on this dead end. And yet it is exactly when it seems like following Naomi would be a dead end. That's when Ruth professes her commitment. Because words matter, and they always do. But the timing of words also matters just as much. Naomi does not offer anything to Ruth, no campaign promises of, well, if you follow me, things will work out. Quite the opposite. Their friendship then changes the world. And to remember that Ruth means friendship. It seems that often in Scripture, God shows up when things seem like a lost cause, a dead end, when maybe our hopes have vanished, then God reemerges as our hope. God will show up for Ruth, but her commitment was made in faith, not with any assurance that it would work out well for her. Friends, I'm banking on some of that hope of Ruth right now. Our world is kind of a mess. This past week for our country was a mess. And now is the point where we ask, do we follow our normal human instincts of how we want to act? Or do we take on a Naomi posture? Do we want others to suffer because we've suffered? Or do we seek to bless? And do we have the capacity to take on a Ruth posture where we commit through friendship? I do believe that we are a commitment-aversive society. In a mundane, simple example, I would just say, have you ever seen a sign-up sheet not have like any signatures on it? But we know things will happen. We like to do, but we don't want to be committed or locked in. Consider even how we relate to church. We could rewrite this text in the, in the North American context to say, where you go, I will go if it works out for me. Where you stay, I will stay if I like it. Your people will be my people if I can't find a better program somewhere else. 
and your God and my God are the same, and we can worship together. If I like the way you arrange your services, and if you pick out the right music. It's easy, in fact, easier to leave when we're dissatisfied or to abandon commitments. It's a lot easier to leave and just start over somewhere else when we're dissatisfied. And friends, there is a time and place, very much like Ecclesiastes, there is a time to move. There is the time for Orpah that it made sense for her to go back to where she was. But today we focus on Ruth. Ruth did not let all of the circumstances move her away from her commitments. It's easier to let our commitments in dissatisfaction also to become hostility. I think often we need just to scapegoat someone when life feels hard. And if we pay attention to our hearts, we all have someone that we'd like to scapegoat to blame, whether it makes sense or not, we will convince ourselves that it does. When we're frustrated and dissatisfied, we can become hostile, judgmental, and angry. Perhaps in the church we're very polite, but we can do, th do so through being passive-aggressive or avoidant. How do we change the world then? What do we see in Naomi and Ruth for changing the world? It goes back to the names. Ruth means friendship. It's not a commitment of obligation, not one that she feels stuck with or that she wished would have gone differently, though I'm sure they wish that Malon and Kilian and Elimelech were still alive. But they are not trapped. Ruth is not trapped. She is in friendship with Naomi. So if you're looking to adjust your New Year's resolutions, or maybe if you're just a little bit low on hope, or maybe you can think of someone that you wouldn't mind scapegoating and being hostile towards, just remember that God's commitment to us is eternal and that our commitments made to the Lord, even when so much of the world is in disarray, might be just the time that the biggest difference can be made. And if we follow Naomi and Ruth, we find that those biggest game changers are made through friendship. So make a commitment this year to who do you want to befriend? As gets mentioned from time to time, when we talk about sharing the love of Jesus with those around us, it starts with making sure, do you actually know someone who doesn't know Jesus? Are you friends with someone who doesn't have a church? Make a commitment to make a friend. We have been bombarded with plenty of reasons to be hostile. Plenty of reasons to be dissatisfied and plenty of reasons to fire back. If I'm bad, then you're worse. But rather, can friendship change the world? Friendship the way we see God blessing Naomi and Ruth? Can friendship heal division? Can friendship bring actual unity and not just a plea for things to settle down or to be quieter, but can friendship actually bring peace?
Whose friendship, family, would you join? And who would you stay with? I don't think Ruth's commitment to Naomi are words that we should repeat towards just anyone. I don't think they're words to vow to a political party. But I do believe with all my heart that they are words that make sense to say to each other if we mean them in sincerity and even with some intimacy. I've used these words before for weddings and they work just well for that. Whose family would you choose to make that kind of commitment to? Is it the family of the church that you would say, I'm not going. Don't urge me away. Where we go, I will go with us. Where we stay, we will stay. Your people will be my people. We are one and together through friendship. And your God, my God, that we may worship together. With all of our different style preferences, with all of our different ways that we connect well, at home, online, all different types of variety. But every family has some variety. We come together. Not just through platitudes, through words that we say, but may or may not mean. But when Ruth gives herself to Naomi, she gives herself to a new family. And she does so in hope. We come together at this table as a matter of remembrance, communion, and hope. We come together not because Christ forces us to, but rather because we are invited together as brothers and sisters in Christ, as people who rejoice in being together. And just as around your table at home, you celebrate meals in friendship, sometimes with some bickering, but yet we celebrate together in friendship that is like family. We come to Christ's table in that same way. And we come in remembrance, communion, and hope. And in darkness. And in darkness. <laughs> and the people, walking, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. So we, we're, Sorry, we're both trying to quote scripture at the same time. <laughs> we're going for the same line. Because friends can work together. <laughs> Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Supper that we are about to celebrate is a feast of remembrance, communion, and hope. We first come in remembrance remembering that our Lord Jesus Christ was sent of the Father into the world, what we just celebrated at Christmas, that Jesus came into the world to assume our flesh and blood and to fulfill all obedience to the divine law, even to the bitter and shameful death on the cross. By his death, resurrection, and ascension, Christ has established a new and eternal covenant of grace and reconciliation that we might be accepted of God and never be forsaken by him. We come in remembrance of who Christ is and what Christ has done. And we also come in current time communion with the same Christ who has promised to be with us always. Even as Ruth promised to go with Naomi for all of her days, Christ has promised to be with us even to the end of the world. And in the breaking of the bread, Christ makes himself known to us 
as the true heavenly bread that strengthens us unto life eternal. And in the cup of blessing, he comes to us as the vine in whom we must abide if we are to bear fruit. We come in remembrance of Christ. We come in communion with that same living Christ and in communion with your brothers and sisters in Christ. And we come in hope, believing that this bread and this cup are a pledge and foretaste of the feast of love of which we shall partake when Christ's kingdom has fully come. We take this in hope. And every time you take communion, it is a reminder that the world does not have the last word and evil does not have the last say, but rather we come celebrating Christ's hope that when Christ shall return or when we are to be called home, with unveiled face we shall behold him and be made like him in all of his glory. Since by his death, resurrection, and ascension, Christ has obtained for us the life-giving spirit who unites us all as one body. So we are to receive this supper in true love, mindful of the communion of saints. This morning as we come to the table, I invite you to join us in the words of our communion liturgy, which should appear on the screen in just a moment. I will read the sections that are in normal text, and if you would join us with the bolded sections, then we will come to God's table ready. Friends, may the Lord be with you and And also also with you. you. Lift up your hearts. We lift lift them them up up to to the the Lord. Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is is right right to give give our thanks thanks and praise. praise. Let us pray. Holy and right it is, and our joyful duty to give thanks to you at all times and in all places. O Lord, our creator, almighty, everlasting God, you created heaven with all its hosts and the earth with all its plenty. You have given us life and being and preserve us by your providence. You have shown us the fullness of your love in sending into the world your son, Jesus Christ, the eternal word made flesh for us and for our salvation. For the precious gift of this mighty Savior who has reconciled us to you, we praise and bless you, O God. With your whole church on earth and with all the company of heaven, we worship and adore your glorious name, saying together, Holy, holy, holy holy Lord, God of power and might, Heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Most righteous God, we remember in this supper the perfect sacrifice offered once on the cross by our Lord Jesus Christ for the sin of the whole world. In the joy of his resurrection and in expectation of his coming again, We offer ourselves to you as holy and living sacrifices, as together we proclaim the mystery of the faith. Christ Christ has died. Christ Christ is risen. risen. Christ Christ will will come come again. Send your Holy Spirit upon us, we pray, that the bread which we break and the cup which we bless may be to us the communion of the body and blood of Christ. Grant that being joined together in him, we may attain to the unity of the faith, and grow up in all things into Christ our Lord. And as this grain has been gathered from many fields into one loaf, and these grapes from many hills into one cup, grant, O Lord, that your whole church may soon be gathered from the ends of the earth into your kingdom. Even so, come, 
Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. On the night which our Lord Jesus was betrayed, he was gathered with his disciples. And as was his custom, he took bread. And he blessed it. And he broke it. And he told those gathered with him, which included Judas, take and eat. This is my body given for you. In the same way as Jesus was gathered with his friends, he took the cup. He blessed it and he offered it to those who were gathered. He said to them, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. As often as you drink of it, remember me. Let's drink together. These are the gifts of God for us, the people of God, to celebrate and partake with one another. They are not about us, but these gifts are for us, from Christ who calls us his own. As we finish communion together today, we're going to go into a time of prayer. We're going to pray for the needs of our church that have been made known, and we're also going to pray for our nation. I want to add a word about that before we do so. Last year as a whole, we saw a lot of violence and hardship. This past week, we saw something that none of us have actually seen in our lifetime. And so I'm drawn to two places. One, I'm drawn to prayer. God, teach us how to pray in moments like these. And if you need to learn how to pray, remember, prayer can be as simple as saying please and thank you to God. But if you want some wording, go to the Psalms, the prayer book of the Bible. And so I begin in Psalm 1. I wonder how this relates to how we can pray for our nation. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates upon his law both day and night. That person is like a tree planted near streams of water which yields fruit in due season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. We long for good fruit in our country. We long for a prospering nation, do we not? And yet, isn't it easier and more natural to join in the company of mockers? Most of us would not self-describe as wicked. In fact, we would probably be more willing to label other people as wicked. But I wonder if within our own hearts, if we take Psalm 1 seriously, if we might just get stuck on that company of mockers. Is it not easier to mock than to bless? 
Jesus said to love our enemies, but rather we just like taking turns of who can make fun of who. You're bad, I'm worse. This isn't my fault, this is your fault. Let us not join in the company of mockers. I have been praying. Strangely, I've never prayed for the FBI before. I've been praying for investigations on what's happened in our capital and for justice to be done to say this does not and should not happen here. And then I even then will catch myself almost wanting to take the tone of the mockers for everyone who is caught. As Benjamin Franklin said, the two certainties in life are death and taxes. But if you are a teenager anytime after 1992, then what also is true is that if you do something dumb or illegal and put it on the internet, you'll get caught. I heard that a lot as a kid. Friends, let us not join in the company of mockers. In our words that we speak to one another, in how we show up on social media, rather than mock, let us delight in the law of the Lord, which will bring us back to stories like Ruth and Naomi, where a friendship could change the world. Who do you actually want to befriend? The best question might be, who do you not want to befriend? <laughs> and focus on that person, actually. And lastly, as we go into prayer, I am reminded of Jeremiah 29. More of us are familiar with Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans not to harm you, but to prosper you and to give you a hope and a future. This is a good thing. But earlier in the chapter, the Lord Almighty tells the people, who are in exile, in a country not their own. Build houses and settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number in this time and do not decrease. Also seek the prosperity and peace of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it. Because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Maybe for some we just feel like this is a hopeless spot. Or maybe for others we want to help Jesus build his kingdom according to our rules. As Christians, we need to remember two things. One, we are all exiles. We do not belong here. This is not our home. And it is good to seek the prosperity of the city and country in which you live. Don't lose sight of the fact that we are exiles who wander on this earth and don't lose sight of the fact that we are to seek its peace and prosperity. We don't get to confuse heaven and America, nor do we get to write everything off and say, I'm done, good luck. With Psalm 1 and Jeremiah 29 in mind, with prayer and the words of the prophets. Let's pray. God, we come and we thank you that you have fed us at your table and that you will not leave us or forsake us. We are grateful for your gifts and mindful of the communion of your saints. And so we offer prayers for all people. God of compassion, we remember before you the poor, the afflicted, 
the sick and the dying, those who are in the hospital on end and those who are yearning for a diagnosis. We pray for prisoners and all who are lonely. We pray for victims of war, injustice, trauma, violence, and inhumanity, and all who suffer from whatever their sufferings may be called, whether they be spoken or unspoken. Lord of providence, who holds the destiny of the nations in your hand, we pray for our country. Inspire the hearts and minds of our leaders that they together with all of our nation may first seek your kingdom and your righteousness. Yours first. And may we seek it as exiles who are wandering this world so that order, liberty, and peace may dwell with your people. We do pray for all people and all nations. Take away the mistrust and lack of understanding that so easily divide your creatures. Help us to stare it in the face right now, the ways in which we are divided. Increase within us first the recognition that we are all your children. And secondly, O God, as you have nourished us at your table, strengthen us to create friendships that might change the world. Strengthen our resolve and our hope to befriend so that, so that we may push towards unity together. May you help us to abandon our short-sighted versions of winning and losing so that we can seek a world where we all may win together in your name. Savior God, look upon your church in its struggle upon the earth, for we are not exempt from division. We are not exempt. Have mercy upon us in our moments of weakness. Bring an end to our division, scatter our fear, our hostility, and help us to be honest where we may be tempted to be passive-aggressive. Help us to communicate where we may be tempted to distance. Look upon your ministry of your church, increase our courage, strengthen our faith, and inspire our witness to all people, even to the ends of the earth. And Lord, as we look to this week, we pray for the Klassens, that Kim may find progress. We pray for Jody Essenberg for a surgery that may go well and bring restoration of hearing, as the prophet Isaiah once said. Lord, we give you thanks that Warren Brower is recovering well. We pray that you give him strength as he heals, give him energy as he is restored, and give him patience as he perhaps has to play by a new set of rules. God, in all of this, we give you thanks and we offer our prayers to you. Inspire the hearts and minds of all of our leaders. May we not turn away May we not join in the company of mockers, but may we turn to your word. May we turn to you and ask, God, what are we going to do about this? May you be the author of grace in our lives. May you send your Holy Spirit's blessing upon us. And may we seek the prosperity and peace of the places to which we have been sent by you 
as exiles to wander this earth until you call us to our true home. We are, not com- we are not required to finish the work that you have set before us, O Lord, but neither are we free to abandon it. So help us to use our freedom for your fruit of the Spirit, against which things there are no law. May we not take freedom as freedom from responsibility. May we not abuse freedom as a privilege to do whatever we see fit in our own eyes. May our freedom be found in our service to you and to you alone, O Christ, the only king and head of the church, the one who ordains and calls elders and deacons, the one who loves each one of us and calls us by name until we are called home by you in which we can hear those words, well done, thou good and faithful servant, enter into your master's happiness. Lord, may the master's happiness enter into our life, our hearts, and our world this week. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. As we go from this place, I invite you to stand as we'll shortly sing the doxology. We sing the doxology often. They're words that are probably written in our hearts and minds that we bring glory to God. May they also be a prayer this week that we may bring glory to God in all that we do. But before we go from this place, go with God's blessing and hear these words of benediction for us. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift his face towards you and give you Christ's everlasting and perfect peace, both now and forever, both here and wherever you go. Amen. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise God, all creatures here below. Praise God above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost.
Great job. Thank you. 